All right, another week, another episode of Listen to Mario. It's Mario Lopez here. Love doing this podcast because I get to sit down and have a fun, in-depth conversation with all kinds of fascinating people from all walks of life. And this week, I got my buddy Danny A. stopping by. Danny A. is a fascinating guy. I'm laughing because he is such a character and incredibly cool. Known him for years, and he has a pretty incredible backstory. So let's get into it. Listen to Mario. Danny A. Hey. What up? <laughs> First of all, welcome. Second of all, how do you exactly pronounce your last name? Abikazer. 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 Not a S. Yeah, Abikazer. Abikazer. Hence, Danny A. Danny yeah, that's why. Is that why? Did they mess it up just I growing? mean, I, Danny Abikazer. Excuse me? Danny, I, so I was just, just Danny A. Yeah, Danny A. It's just easy. You were born in Israel. Israel. Haifa. Haifa, I've been yeah, there. You've been there. I remember I took a tour. You dogged you me. Did, we were both in did. Israel, and then Haifa, we meet each other. A little town called Bad Galim, which is, which is the house of waves. It's what it stands for. How it's long were you there till you moved? I was nine years old. Oh, nine years old? Yeah. Okay. Now, I just finished uh, third grade. How was that transition? Hard. I didn't speak a word of English. Wow. So you didn't, you didn't uh, up until that point, watch any American television or a lot I of mean, it? I mean, a or? little bit, but you know, I'm a kid and my, my parents were born in Casablanca, Morocco. So they spoke French at home. Oh, wow. So they kind of like try to get us to speak a little French at home and Hebrew in school. Yeah. But that went down the drain once we came to America because we had to speak Hebrew at home and English in school. How'd they go from Morocco to Israel? So we're Jewish. <clears throat> Excuse me. And, um. Uh, and in 48, once Israel got its independent, all the Jews, especially in that region, wanted to move to Israel. So eventually, I think they moved, actually moved to the States because in 58, 58 or 59, uh, for like a year, my mom missed, you know, she just, my dad and my mom, and uh, she really wanted to go back and be with her family. So we, they made a deal, my parents. They went back, they had kids, and then they came to New York. Wow. Yeah. And how many siblings? We're seven. Seven. Yeah, five and, boys, two girls. And you fall where? One before last. The one before last. Yeah. Okay, so you weren't the oops baby. Nah. <laughs> and and uh, you guys are all close. I know you talk to to your businesses. Yeah, and of you're, course. You're all close. So growing up there in transition, you went to New York, Brooklyn, correct? Brooklyn, yeah. And were you scared when they initially told you? Was it because of your your siblings? They made it a little easier. That's got to be a fascinating because I'm a child of immigrants, but you literally are an immigrant and at a very precocious age where you're going, you're, you're kind of trying to figure it out as a kid just in general. Yeah. I mean, I was kind of excited because I didn't know what I was getting myself into. When I got here, um, it was a little scary. I got picked on because we, we, you know, again, I'm Jewish and my mom. That's a strong Jewish community. There's a big yeah, Jewish, community, a big right Jewish community. And my mom wanted us to go to yeshiva in the beginning to get adapted to the English with the Hebrew. Um, so I, we wear a yarmulke. And me and my little brother walking down the street and got jumped by these kids. And we had to fight. And I, I didn't understand it in the beginning. And I was just like, what the hell is going on? Um, but then I realized that I'm in a totally different environment. So it was a little scary. Got picked on a little bit, you know, because I didn't speak any English. So, But a good thing happened was in school... Because I didn't speak in English, the teacher used to make me draw, and she used to make me draw money. So I got obsessed with money. <laughs> so, <laughs> wait a second, wait a second. What do you mean make you draw? She like, literally <laughs> would be like, why don't you? She gave me like coins, quarter, dime, nickels, and yeah. I would just like draw them. 
And, right. and it's all I remember in fourth grade. I didn't speak a word of English. So did you start watching a lot of TV? How did your English get so good? Yeah, so, you know, but again. Did so you just out, park in front of the TV? I mean, you literally don't have anyone to talk to unless you speak in English outside the house. You know, my brothers are in their class. You know, my sisters right. are in their classes. And so I'm literally by myself. And as a kid, you pick it up faster than usually as an adult. Yeah, yeah, yeah I so, guess so. So I picked up English. I remember the first. What were the shows you were watching? You remember? Oh, my God. Um, Fonz, you know, I mean. Happy days. Happy days, good times. Uh, so you're walking around as a 10-year-old going, The hey. Jeffersons. <laughs> yeah, the Jeffersons, yeah, it. those are very Three's Company. Three's Company, come and knock on my door. I used yeah. to love that. Yeah. Chad and Chrissy, I mean, who doesn't love that? Uh, yeah, growing up, that was like, I mean, but, uh, I mean, again, within a year, I, I spoke perfect English. Wow, that's yeah. amazing. So, you're a New Yorker, you consider yourself a New Yorker. Yeah, I mean, I grew up in New York, yeah. And you stayed in Brooklyn until... I was 19, so I only lived there for like 10 years. 19, my whole family, they went to work for like someone in the family, my dad or something like that, and they always stayed in Brooklyn. Lived at my mom's house, my parents' house, until they got married. Me at 19, I was like, Mom, I'll see you later. She's like, what are you talking about? Where are you going? I was like, I can't. I've always felt like I got to just get out and do my thing. So I moved to Miami uh, for like three, four months. At 19? At night, almost 20. I, I was just about to turn 20. I think I turned 20 With in what Miami. money? With $170. $170. I go and I rent a room for a week at the Charles Hotel on 15th and, and, and seriously, on 15th and Collins. What was the plan? Just... To go, you know, get some sun. So you were just I, partying. It wasn't yeah, a business. Yeah, no, I was just a, fun. I was I mean, a you're 19. kid. I didn't know anything. Yeah. I knew I wanted to get out. So I went to Miami. I loved it. Uh, started working construction. Hung out with a friend who worked there. Worked a little odd jobs with him. Came back. And I was like, no, it's not for me. And I got, and I ended up getting an apartment in the city. So first apartment. no, uh, no. School? No. No you, you, no college, no ambition to want to go to any sort of college, really. Never How'd you do really. at school? I, you know what? I, I, you know, I, I did 12th grade. I, I actually... I did, did 12th grade. I did 12th <laughs> grades, but I only had 39 credits. I needed one more credit. I had to go to summer school. So I said, forget it, and I didn't do it. So you don't have a diploma? I do not have a diploma. You did not have a high I school diploma? I do not diploma. have a high school diploma. Look at that. That's fascinating. Yeah, I love it. Did not that. go to college. Just you're making not... me feel better about myself. I didn't really? go either. Yeah. Yeah, I just didn't. I just for me it was just like you didn't get a hard time from your parents. No. You know, my whole family. My sister went to college. We. I just grew up thinking, you know, I didn't like school, so why would I like? You know, I didn't want to do it. Yeah. But again, if I'm, when I'm going to have kids, I want them to go to college. Right. I want them to because it's the easy, you know. What I did was hard, and, and and I'm very lucky to be where I am because that's it, a lot of luck. Hard work, but a lot of luck. Well, that's what I want. Like, I, you know, we've gotten uh, to know each other pretty well as, as, uh, these last couple of years, but we have a, a mutual friend, a uh, guy by the name of Noah Tepperberg, who I've known now for 20 years or something, a long time, and, and, and likewise, you too. But I knew you as being the guy who was running the hottest scene in New York in nightlife. Yeah. So to fast forward there a little bit. All right. So you're 19. You went to go mess around, party a little bit I in Miami. Miami. How did this Jewish kid in Brooklyn that barely knew English all of a sudden start running the hottest spots? How did that happen? Whew, it's a good question. So I'm in New York now. I, I get an apartment. Uh, I walk into this In the apartment. city? You got the, the apartment city. in the city. Yeah. I'm, now I'm 21 years old, right? 
I get this apartment uh, with a roommate for $500, $250 each a month. It's the wow. ugliest, smallest apartment in the world. But when, <laughs> I, but when I'm about to, I'm like, uh, no, thank you. The guy says to me, this apartment has a lot of history. You know, Al Pacino lived here in 67. Oh, really? I said, He what? hit you with that. <laughs> I said, I'll take it, right? <laughs> so now I'm in the city. I go out. I got a, I got a bridge I'm going to sell you right yeah. now. <laughs> so, I mean, you know, I believe him. Yeah, right. I actually You're 21. Had, uh, yeah, I actually, uh, when I finally met Al, I asked him. He was like, well, I don't know what you're talking about. <laughs> right. So anyway, I'm out and about now. I'm in the scene. I'm going out. I'm meeting people. And I start going. What are you doing clothes. for money? Because New York is an expensive place to live. I worked in a, in, a, in a clothing store called Wings as a shoe salesman. And then I worked in another shoe store called Spring Cobbler. And I would make $3 an hour with a dollar commission on every shoe I used to sell. So now I'm paying the bills, you know, just living in New York, doing my thing. By the way, these prices are like 1962. <laughs> no, this we're, is... We're the same age. There's no way you were surviving $3 an hour. I'm like, wait, I what the hell? God, this is 19, New York? I'm talking about 1993, 92, 93, yeah. you know, so I'm in the scene kind of going out. Then... I wanted to go to this club and this guy said, you know, if you bring five friends, you know, I'll let you in for free. So I was like, really? I had, this is a true story. I am not making this up. I did not know what a club promoter was. I didn't know there was, I, I thought you open a nightclub, you have a doorman, you yeah. let people in. I had no idea. That Most people was, don't know what club promoters are. I really. didn't know there was a club promoter that brings people. In. So to me, I was like, Really? Okay, cool. Yeah, so I started bringing my friends because I really wanted to go to Limelight. That was the club. Limelight. Yeah, that was an old Catholic church. Yep. Limelight, I remember that in the city. Yes, that was a spot. So I used to want to go there and this guy would let me in for free. Then he would like, yo, you're bringing a lot of people. How? What if I pay you You know, to bring people to pay reduced ambitions? So and who are these how, people? Who are these people? I would just bring my friends. It's random friends. Yo, yo, dude, are you coming tonight? Yo, come on, bro. You got, you know, and you just yeah, tell you, people yeah. they got to come. So okay. I would get people to go. So that's how I kind of got into it. And then through that, I met a couple other promoters and worked for them. So wait, then you were asked and you're like, hey, can you officially be a promoter? Yes, but I'm a sub-promoter. I'm working for another promoter. A sub-promoter, like sub who doesn't tell Who doesn't tell the owner that he has another guy working for him. Right. Right, so he's Smart making $6 an hour. He's yeah. giving me two. You know right. what I mean? $6 right. a person, I mean, he's giving me $2. Right? I like that racket. So then so then I'm doing that a little bit. And, I, I, and now I'm meeting a few people and... I overhear some guy talk about doing this singles party, right? And I'm thinking to myself, you know what? I started knowing a few people. I'm going to throw my own party. So I decide to go to this club called the Supper Club. And I go, hey, I'd like to throw a party on the night you're closed. How much is it? He goes, it actually doesn't cost you anything. You have to give a bar guarantee of $3,500. Meaning, you keep the door. If the bar does $3,500, you don't owe me anything. It does $2,000, you owe me $1,500. You just have to make up the difference. That's, a lot, go, That's a lot of pressure, though. Yeah. Done. Wednesday night, I invite all my friends. 50 people show up. My mom showed up. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. She's like, what oh, are you no. doing? Oh, no. Yeah, it was terrible. Oh, no. No one's drinking. I'm like, don't you want to drink? Are you thirsty? <laughs> I'm trying to get people to drink. Nothing. Oh, I, no. I lose Three thousand dollars that I don't have. My brother loans me the money. I have to pay him the three thousand dollars back. And that didn't discourage you. No. And but then I I met this guy there that kind of was like a big deal at the time in like nightlife. So he was as like, a promoter or what? as a promoter. Okay. 
Um, so he got me in a little bit into it. And then I met this Israeli guy that was doing his own party on Tuesday um, at a place called Tattoo. And he was like, why don't you come work with me? And then we became partners. And I brought in like the, what I learned, like the American version of how to do it to his like Israeli version of it. Right. And hired a DJ that people want to hear, you know, hire sub promoters, you know, start inviting pretty people because it would be anybody at those big park clubs. Right. So you said, so there's a, there's so an then, actual skill yeah, to I mean, it, like a craft. So then once that, you want to really get into it, then you want to invite the best people you could possibly, right. people that have money that would spend more money, you can make more money. So you, you know, didn't get discouraged, this guy took you under his wing and so now you're doing So he kind of mean right. it became partners and we started doing Tuesday nights at Tattoo and it took off, it took off. I, I met a bunch of people and then I met this girl, right? Um, who was a model. I've never seen a model in my life, right? I'm a kid from Brooklyn. I don't have a dollar to my name. She's a model and she likes me. And I'm like, hey, all right, cool. She starts inviting all her model friends. So now I'm like hanging out with five models. Everybody wants to be my friend. So <laughs> now things are starting to like real. Now people yeah. really want to hang out. Right. It's amazing, huh? It's, yeah. So now I'm like, wow. <laughs> the more models, the more people want to hang out. It's a pretty people around you. It's like a magnet. <laughs> and that's how it all started. Now, obviously, you know, you fast forward and I meet all these incredible people. So, but wait a minute, before you accelerate. So then it, it's getting bigger and bigger and you started taking a bigger role as a promoter. Right. So now right? I do my own nights, right? So now... Uh, a guy approaches me and says, would you do Saturday night in my club? And I asked my partner at the time, and he's like, I don't want to do it. I did it by myself. And I was making more money than my any of my brothers. I'm 24 at, at that point, like 24, 25. I'm making more money than any of my brothers by myself. What are you pulling in at 24? About four or 5,000 a night, right? I was doing Saturday night at a place called Expo. Then I started doing Thursday at a place called Mirage and making another two, three thousand dollars. Now I'm making all this money as a kid. And you have to understand, it's equivalent to like twenty thousand now. Well, are you kidding me? Right. Of course. I mean, yeah. that's then- so I'm like, oh my God, I'm this is incredible. That's a lot now, by the way. <laughs> yeah. So then I take the money that I'm making and I reinvest it in things. So now like? I'm taking like going to the best restaurants, inviting people to really nice dinners and getting cars to pick them up and really being the guy out and about and being able to show people a good time, buying people, you know, really being that guy, yeah. investing in myself and going to the places where you can't get in unless you'd like somebody. Um, so now I'm kind of like a little bit of a player, right? And then in Noah Tepperberg comes into my life. Him and Jason, his partner at the time, bringing a guest list for me at a place called Mirage on a Saturday night. And he brings, he has a guest list that has 360 names on it. 352 people show up actually on the guest list. And he's like, that person's me. Check him up. You know, and I was like, who is this guy? Right. Uh, and we got close. We became closer and we, and then we started a new party on Tuesday at a club called life. And that's where everything changed. Cause then you know, we started dealing with life. Big I boys. remember. Yes. Yes. Right. So, so, I, so you, did you, did, so you hit it off with Noah and Jason right yes. away and, and they became my partners. And then you guys, days. and then you ended up becoming partners with them. Yes. And these guys, just to get people familiar, these guys happen to be probably the most influential, powerful guys in the nightclub business. Yes. They now, and I knew these guys too, when they were just promoters. Yeah. Starting of course. Now, now they're partners with Madison Square Garden and this whole it, thing. It's, it's like, incredible. Oh, 
so Noah and I not only became partners at the time, but we became very close as friends. And at that point, this is now I'm 26 years old. And at that point, all my friends that I've met along the way, I've really succeeded on the, in their fields as well. So now they're bringing everything to the table and I'm their guy. And it became... So everybody's got, winning together yeah, so, right no, now. But it got to the point where you come to New York, you got to call Danny because everyone's going back to LA, back to wherever they didn't go. You, you got to call Danny when you get to New York. It's insane what's going on. And it really helped me because I was hanging out with these guys. You know what I mean? So it was everyone was winning on this level. And, and then... And then it got to, you know, to the point where like, you know, like Ted Fields who owned Interscope Records would show up and he'd be like, hey, meet Eminem. He's my new artist. And they would play his, you know, and then it became the spot that all the things started breaking. You know what I mean? Well, well that's what I wanted to talk about. So, okay. So now let, let me fast forward to the point where now you're partners with, with Noah, Noah and Jason. Jason. We're doing Tuesdays at Life. Tuesdays at Life. These guys are just on top of their game. You're killing it in New York. When did... Who was the first celebrity to come into your... Mike Tyson. Mike Tyson and I became friends in like 95 and he would come around. He's a great guy. But here's a story. In 1996, when I was doing this place, Mirage, a guy I knew came up to me. He's like, hey man, listen, uh, I have a friend of mine who did this uh, short film and uh, he doesn't have money to do a rap party. I thought maybe you can like maybe host like the rap party for one hour. And I was like... And, you know, I, I've, I, as a kid, I did some acting. So I was like, I love that world. Yeah, you know what? I, I want to I support that as well. No problem. So I do this party for this guy, Vin Diesel. It's his first short. He doesn't have a dollar. I host this thing for him. This guy, um, Gordon, is the guy who got me to do it. So I meet, uh, I meet Vin. We stay friends. He becomes a big movie star. He starts supporting and, a bunch of my stuff. And correct me if I'm wrong, but wasn't he a bouncer at one of those clubs? He was in a club called Tunnel. I don't really remember him as much from that from right, the club. Right, but he days, was. Uh... But he was. And he was a great guy. And then he, he blew up. I mean, he did um, uh, that Spielberg movie. Uh, Saving Private, Private Ryan. Ryan. And then he kind of blew up. So he would come and support. I've known Mark Wahlberg for so many years uh, before he was Mark Wahlberg. And he blew up, and he started supporting, and then it just it just grew, and all the you know all these guys would just come and support, hang out, and we were young and and how did it? How did you trip out when the celebrity scene started? Because then you know the models are one thing, and then the celebrities. Did, how was that? Did how did that, uh, that just that affect you as a, a as a kid from Brooklyn that yeah, didn't know so, any English when you get here? And like, I'm I'm ex, you know so I'm like a wow surreal. this is yeah this is great right. <laughs> I'm like, this is fun. We're making money. Where we're doing great. It's yeah. fun, you know. I'm getting to meet all these great people, uh, and I'm like, I'm on top of the world. I'm young. I'm enjoying everything. 1999. Ted Fields hires me. He goes, listen, Millennium. I want to throw the biggest party ever of all time. I want you to take uh, Studio 54 and redo it for me. So. I get hired to do the biggest event ever. I redo Studio 54 for Ted Field. I go and I, you know, I, I, I rent the place out. I redo the whole thing. Mark so it's Ross like you're a producer. DJs. You're like a producer, essentially, yeah. right? The promoter's got to produce. I, I they got to make thing. sure. Yeah, yeah. This is a great story. Oh, Ronson was a DJ thing. on that one too? Mark Ronson's DJing. Great DJ. I do the whole spoon in the moon. I mean, it's insane. He spent like a million dollars on this thing. Wow. It was insane, right? It's on the cover of the New York Times. I'm the guy. I decide, you know what? I did it all in nightlife. I'm moving to LA to become an actor. Yeah. 
<laughs> hold on. You're jumping too far. I'm going to get to wait, that. Wait, You're wait, jumping wait, too far. I'm telling you. Okay, hold on. No, we're going to go back. All right, all right. So I tell, tell, I tell Ted, who I know is in the business, I'm like, listen, I'm thinking about going. He goes, listen, you come to L.A., you call me. I'm like, really? I'm like, great. Page six writes, Danny A's leaving. He's going to New York to LA to become an actor, right? So now I'm stuck. I have to go. <laughs> I go to LA. I take a taxi to Ted Field's office. I call him. Says, yeah, come see me. I go to his office. He's like, who's this kid? No, listen. <laughs> this is a true story. Huge office. Yeah. I, his secretary's like, uh, Ted, Danny's here. Uh, I walk in. He's like, I got to go. I got a friend here. I never forget my life. I'm walking towards him. It's a huge, I've never seen an office in my life. I get close to him and he goes, hey buddy, good to see you. Listen, I can't help you. <laughs> I go, what? I just moved. It was in page six. I, I came to be an actor. He's like, I can't help you, but I'm going to give you the best advice in your life. And he did. He gave me the best advice. He goes, Danny, you're, you're Danny A. You're the biggest nightclub guy there is. Why would you come to LA? I don't even know how much money you have saved. You would end up becoming, I mean, it takes years. Go back, get some connections, figure out what you want to do, come back with some money and come when you're really ready. And I looked at him and I was like, you're absolutely right. I got back in the car, back to the airport and back to New York. People were like, what happened? I was like, hey, I'll tell you later. Now I go back to New York. Fake news, page six. Yeah. Me and Noah open this restaurant, Luan. Noah becomes, Noah decides he's going to open a big nightclub marquee. They convinced me to do Tuesdays there. And everything is great. I'm making money. Life is great. And I, I, started, I started thinking to myself, like, why am I, like, not as happy as I should be, right? I'm thinking to myself, like, uh, I mean, from the outside, everything yeah. seems great, right? I'm this guy. Everyone, you know, I know everyone. I go out. I make some money. Uh, and then I wanted to, like, do something else. And I, I figured maybe I'll get back into, like, see if I can do this acting thing. And that's where all that came about. But I decided to do it while I'm still doing the nightlife and, and get my, you know, and, and get my feet wet and, and figure it out until I'm ready to like finally like say adios. So it because this is a very difficult thing to, to kind of grasp. You're a young guy. You're hanging out with beautiful models. You got a lot of celebrity friends. And I know you're not a name dropper, so I'm going to yeah. I'm going to drop them for you. You end up being like really good friends with Leonardo DiCaprio, close friends. Um, his whole circle, right? Toby and all those guys. Wahlberg, like you mentioned, you know all these guys. And great they, guys, they're great, all great guys, great guys, and, and, and very supportive. And you've been friends with them for years. Yeah, you know before anything. So, by the way, did you have conversations with these guys about when you wanted to leave and become an actor? He, Them knowing how tough he, the business he, he, was. And here's the thing: everyone thought I was crazy. Right? Yeah, because like, you're making a lot of money. Yeah, they're you're like, what the is, why would you do that? Right. I mean, you know, because. I was at, you know, and, and again, I'm not trying to make myself, you know, look good here. I was at a point where it was just like there was no higher that you can go in nightlife. Right. So you would think to succeed in a different business, I would have to be the CEO or I would have to be like Spielberg. I, you can't just be like an actor who's got like a CSI or something. You know what I mean? That, that doesn't make any sense. So to them, it just didn't like kind of like, oh, you know, you could do the acting on the side thing. But I was like, no, I'm leaving nightlife. I want to just do something else. Wow. You know what I mean? So they, they really was. So, yeah, I tell all these people. And right? what did your partners think? 
They were like, yeah, 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 whatever. <laughs> they, they, they were like, yeah, okay, it's never going to happen. In their yeah, mind, probably. Right? right, in their mind, right. But so in your actor friends, I'm sorry I interrupted yeah, you. Like, they, what, they were like, cool, you know, good luck. What are they going to say? <laughs> I mean, you know, the reality is, I know myself. No one knows me like I know me, and I know that I'm crazy when it comes to if I want something. But again, Who's to say that I'm successful now? It's still an everyday hustle. I'm still. It's not to the point where my phone's ringing every day. People are like, yo, I got a role for you. Trust me, you want to do this. Right. You know, it's still an everyday hustle, but I still accept this and want this and feel like this is more natural to me than anything else that I've done. So, But Ted Fields actually gave you great advice in the sense that you, you got, I'm sure, financially very secure. Right, yeah. you had a nice little nest. You're not going to be a starving actor, <laughs> which right. is a huge which difference, was a right? Huge difference. Which was a huge difference. And I know you've been smart with your money, but still, to make that transition, I, I always want to ask you too. Did you was the acting scene in New York not enough? It wasn't that. So what happened was, so now I go, all right, I really want to do this. What do I do? I'm going to make a short film. So I make a short film. I I pay for it myself, like thirty thousand dollars at the time. I get Sarah Foster, who's a good friend of mine, and Lucas Haas is a good friend of mine. It's a great cast for thirty grand. Yeah, to, to be in my short, right? They're great friends. And those are just friends just that friends. you just ask favors. They Look at come that. and do the short with me, right? Um, and I have a friend of mine who I knew was in the business. He was like a producer. He worked on some things, so he directed it and produced it with me. And it was called Characters. And I was like, oh, I love this. This is great, right? We had a great time. But no one sees it. It's a short, but I really liked it. I go now. I'm gonna go make a feature film. I'm watching a TV show at 3 o'clock in the morning, Interpol Fight on Drugs. And one of the segments is about Hasidic kids, Jewish kids, that are smuggling ecstasy into the country. So I'm like, wow, that would make a great movie. Now, I heard about the story through people in New York. I wake up, I look it up, and I find an article called Holy Rollers on New York Times. I buy the rights to the article, $2,300. Now I have the rights to the article and the name, Holy Rollers. I go and tell a friend of mine, listen, I really want to do this. He gets me the money to hire a writer through a production company that he was involved with. And I hired this guy, Antonio Messia. I'm like, I want to write this script, blah, blah. He writes it. I get the guy who directed my short to come produce it with me. He convinces me that I should hire him to direct it. That's a long story. Now this is 2005. I have this script. I come to LA with the script. I start pitching it. You know, I call all my friends. Call Guy O'Siri, who's a good friend of mine, who was at Maverick at the time. Yeah. And he's like, come speak to some of the guys here. And I show him the script. And they're like, you know, I like this ecstasy thing. It's pretty cool. But instead of a Hasidic Jew, why don't we make him a surfer from Malibu? You know, he's good looking. I'm like, give me back my script. <laughs> you don't know what the hell you're talking Welcome about. Welcome to Hollywood. Yeah. No one knows what the hell they're talking about, right? I'm like, no one understands the movie. So I realized... I gotta get I gotta get this money to make this movie. So through friends and through people, I'm raising all this money. I I meet Jesse Eisenberg. Now I'm doing small little roles in films, like one scene here, a small little scene here. Um, so I do this movie. Fred Durst is directing. He's a friend of mine. He gives me Fred Durst from Limp Biscuit. Limp Biscuit. He gives me a small role. I'm the cop who arrests this guy, and I meet Jesse Eisenberg on set. He's the star of the movie. And I tell Jesse, yeah, man, I'm working on this script. And I think you'd be perfect as a Hasidic Jew. He's like, yeah, sure, no problem. I'm like, I literally have one line in the movie. He's a star. 
but he was really sweet and he was like, here's my info whenever it's ready. I sent it to him. He loves it. He calls me. He's like, I got to see you right now. He tells me, Danny, I've been waiting for a script like this. I want to star in this. I'm like, great. Now I'm trying to raise money with Jesse. No one's giving us any money. I still need to continue to fight and fight and fight. I finally am able to raise all the money through another producer, through the, the, the director, his mom. I put up money. Everyone puts up money and we make this movie Holy Rollers. Jesse Eisenberg, Justin Bartha, Ari Grainer. I'm friends with Q-Tip. I got him in the movie. Come on. The best. So I I get him in the movie, right? How much is your raise? How much is your raise? 1.16. So look at that. Look at that. Wait a minute. That's a real budget right there. So for a guy who's getting into this. I have one friend who I can't mention says to me, you get the half and I'll make up the other half. So I had to come up with $550,000. A lot of money. Yeah. And, And it's a lot of money. I put up. You know, they were like, well, you got to put everything you, you can into this because I want to see how much you really want this. So I ended up putting like 120 some thousand into it at the time. Wow. Um, but we all did it, right? Now I make the movie. It's freezing in New York. This is, it took four and a half years. Now it's 2009. I'm shooting in New York in January. Jesse Eisenberg, Justin Bartha, I told you all those people. Um, the movie... Gets accepted to Sundance. Look at that. I don't even know if that's a good thing. Everyone's like, yeah. you got it to Sundance. I'm like, okay. Uh, you know, I'm so oblivious to this world. I don't right. really know, right? You're learning as you go. So I'm learning as it goes. I'm like, all right, great. So we go to Sundance and it was the worst market ever because 2008, 2009, the market crash. We were wearing Sundance January right. 2010. Um, but I make a sale. To uh, first independent, Gary Rubin buys the movie. Look at he that. Does, this doesn't happen, by the way. Are yeah. you aware, like, the odds? Yeah, are I mean, to... I, people tell me, like, this is unbelievable. Yeah. I mean, your first movie, you're acting in it, you produced it. I dedicated it to my dad who passed away at the end of the movie. I, I did everything that I wanted about this film, right? Jesse Eisenberg went on to do social network, so he's out there shooting that. And, uh, and everyone's like, this is incredible, right? Um, anyway, we sell it, it comes out, it does okay. People love it, right? I thought this is kind of going to like lead to other things. Right. Nothing. Yeah. <laughs> Zero. <laughs> Nada. That's Hollywood, huh? I'm like, what the hell's going on, right? This is supposed to be like my big break. Yeah. And I realized that no one cares. <laughs> <laughs> what, people, yo, what people care about is money. Yeah. The movie was successful. It got sold. You know, we made our money back, almost all of it. You know, people, unless you're making someone a hundred million dollars, they're like, okay, whatever. You made a short little, you made a little small movie. So I'm like, oh my God, what do I do to try to like, yeah. But now I got the real bug, right? Noah says to me, let's do this last club together, right? Avenue. So I decide, okay, let's give it one last push. So we do Avenue. And it's insane. <laughs> you were like, Pachita, they thought you were out, but they pulled you back they in. <laughs> did you see my Instagram, by the way? Yeah, yeah yes, I, I did. Uh, that's from that movie, Characters. The I short. know, I know. Uh, anyway, long story short, <laughs> I do that, and I decide I got I to gotta continue to do this movie stuff. So while I'm doing that, I decide to go make another movie that took two, three years to put together called Club Life. And this is about... At the same time while you're on Avenue. 
now I'm working. Now I own Avenue with Noah. We're killing it at Avenue. Making I'm still, good money. Yeah, I'm still the guy in nightlife. People go, oh, you you did that movie, Holy Rolls, you know. So now, it's like, oh, the people, you know, kind of understand that I made a movie, but yeah. you know, a lot of people go and make a movie. So I go, I want to make this movie, uh, Club Life. So I write it. I hire another ghostwriter. We write it together, and I go and raise money to make Club Life. Don't ask me how I just do it. I just meet all these people, and I end up getting this guy. What's the pitch? How do you how do you how do you approach someone for money just to give you money for? A I realized you can't go to someone who's got ten million dollars and ask him for a million dollars. You got to go to someone who's got a billion dollars, where it doesn't really mean anything to them. Right. So I stopped asking all my broke friends. Right. <laughs> so now I'm going after the big boys. And these are the and these big boys are guys you met in your clubs. People that I've met and through the clubs, through people, through friends. Yeah, and they're like, "What do you do?" I'm like, "You know, I own a couple of nightclubs, and I make small independent films." Whoa, really? What kind of movies? Well, I made Holy Rolls. I saw that. That was pretty good. You made how much was that? You know, and you start. Right. Long story short, I raise another uh, more money, and I make this movie Club Life. I get uh, Jerry Ferrara to star in it, Jessica Zor, Robert Davi, myself, and I go make this. I sell it to the Orchard. Big sale. Now. Everyone's like, wow, this movie's about... Now I get all my club people, club friends, Tiesto, David Guetta, Afrojack, to give me his damn music for free. Whoa. The biggest EDM DJs. Yeah, Whoa. So Whoa. Now I forgot I, I got, I got like, I got like the soundtrack, you know, and blah, blah. I call Ted Fields. He sells the movie for me. Get out of here. Yeah. You're full circle with Back Ted Fields. Back to Ted. Back to Ted. Back to Look Ted. Ted. So I... <laughs> you go there you go i told you i do i do that and uh and then i decide i gotta do this for full time i mean i right. love it so much and uh and that's when i started like so i went long story short i i raised a fund and i decided to call noah tepperberg at this point one of my best friends in the whole world and i say hey man i i, I want out he's like oh come on i'm like seriously i end up selling him a bunch of my points back. They end up buying it. And I raised a bunch of money for the movie. So I go make movies. And uh, and uh, obviously Noah would never let me just leave without, you know, being there for him. Because I always told him, no matter what, I'm there for you. So I always was supportive of everything that he does. And, uh, and um, kind of stayed on as like a consultant for him. And anything that he does and he needs help with or anything that I have that I can help him with. I always throw it his way because, you know, right. you just don't stop becoming the guy. My phone keeps ringing. People, you know, are in town. People yeah, want to yeah. do things. So I, I continue to help him out. Um, hey, Ben, what's up, buddy? <laughs> uh, so then I do that, right? Yeah. And I, I decide that I'm going to raise this fund and make these movies. Um, and that's when everything changed. Now, let's put a a pin in that for a second because I want to read there was something I wanted to ask you in this club yeah. space before moving on to the raising of the money when I was going this is I feel like one of those old man stories back in the day but when I was going out when I was really partying young when we were the yeah. same age when we were going out we didn't have to worry about phones social media and being able to partying with the paparazzi and everybody sort of having a good time did it change the promoting game now or does it change the scene now where everyone is essentially a paparazzi and you, you, you can't 
let yourself be vulnerable and have a good time? Has it changed the game now? Absolutely. Everything is different now. When we, you know, when we first started, there was... You had to talk to each other. Yeah. There was no phones. We had to talk to each other. By the way, it changed so much where it used to be you would make plans with your friends and be like, all right, 11 o'clock, I'll see you at club so-and-so, right? Right. You can't get out of it. You have to go to the club. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) You're at the club. You can't be like, dude, I'm not going. Right, You you go, right? Or, you you know, you just don't show up and you're that guy. (laughs) Also, also, you're at this club. It sucks. You can't tell anybody it sucks. Right. Right? Like, don't come here. Yeah, exactly. So people go. You understand? Yeah. There's no, like, how is that thing? And, you know, people yeah, can't tell yeah. each other. Right. So you send me a pic. Like, yeah. Send me a pic. Is right. it worth it? Should I leave here and meet you there? Right. Those things were not happening. They Cell phones and text messaging started. Cell yeah. phones, I think, 92, 91, 92. But text messaging, 95, 96. So early on in my yeah. career, then... But also, phones didn't have cameras on it. Right, that's and when that's it. The that's when the game thing, changed. Right? Yeah, it just—it's so sad that you 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 go to a club. I mean, I don't go to clubs really that much anymore. But you would go somewhere, and no one really wants to be there because right. you don't want to be—you don't want to be on TMZ, or you don't want—you just right. don't want everyone to know your business. Right. You know what I mean? It's You're like, exactly right. It changed everything. Celebrities aren't as comfortable no. to go there for God forbid, and you got to so sneak you have in to do the all. whole thing, and it's just, yeah, and it took a lot of the fun out of it. Plus, you have right. to remember nightclubs. People are going, and their wife think they're at work. Right. And they're there. You know what I mean? Right. They don't now want you anybody get, to now see Now you get them. pinched easy. Yeah. Right. Every, everyone's there doing something that they shouldn't be doing. Right. Right? What's well, the whole point of going there? Yeah. You're, you're, you're <laughs> in a nightclub. Right. So you don't want, you right. know, all those things have changed everything. It so. really has. I love our era. I'm glad we grew yeah. up. Now we're like the marathon dinner crowd. Yeah. We go, we have a dinner, we have a nice you marathon. You know you when you're like, you're like, Start at 7 and go until 9.30. Yeah, right? hey, that's big. You guys love the 7 o'clock dinners, right? We love the 7 o'clock dinners. Hey, I got the wife. love the 7 o'clock dinner. Daddy, we started hanging out at dinner. He said, what time's dinner? So let's go 7 o'clock. He goes, oh, I was thinking like 9. I go, hey, <laughs> we're domesticated over here. <laughs> Take it down a notch. My girlfriend is in bed by 8. <laughs> I mean, it's just crazy. But I mean, you know, it's crazy. You but start it, talking about wine and right, shit. Right, right, right. Oh, you God. start talking exactly. It's a whole other thing. Unbelievable. But no, I wanted to ask you that element but i i find i find it just fascinating that you you transition from a very successful career in which we're already in to your, this passion of yours with with acting and producing you made your own movie you got invited to sundance it was well received and yet you still got to start from square one every time every time it it nothing necessarily is given to you after that. It's always, everything in Hollywood is a temp job. Absolutely. And that still didn't discourage you. No. So, But now it's too late. Now I'm in it. You know, there's no going back. Did you but, move to LA yet at that point or no? No. So I decided to get a house in LA just to rent a house and then come back and forth. So I was doing New York, LA, New York, LA for this is five years already. But once I decided that I, I you know, I, I raised this fund and I was like, I'm going to go make these movies. I wanted to make movies that I liked, you know, and things that I think that people should make and they're not making because of the studio system and all that stuff. And I have independent money. I don't need to ask anybody for anything. But then I learned a big lesson. I decided, you know, I'm just going to make a movie no matter who's in it. This is the movie I want to make. This is the perfect guy for the movie. But then I got to understand that it's you want to cast people that have some kind of value so you can make some money back right so you can continue to make it you know which is the hollywood system and right. you continue to evolve and learn along the way um 
but uh, yeah, so I made Club Life, and then I decided to make I made I made a comedy, a stand up guy that didn't go so well. I mean, as planned, but I learned through everyone. I learned different things. I did a movie called Experimenter, um, and and just started like you know I, a couple of documentaries that we invested in the, the Last Shaman we made, which went to Netflix, and um, and uh, Davi's Way, which you saw. Um, and One then, of my personal I, you know, and then yeah, and, and then I decided. You know, if I'm gonna make these movies as an as 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 a producer and I own my own production company, it's not enough. I need to start figuring out how to distribute the movies too, because I'm realizing that the distribution side is the most important thing. Right. People need to know that this movie's out. Right. The awareness level. The awareness does level. Does the is- does the digital platforms now and these streamers help that, or has it? Um, been more difficult because they're starting to create from within. So Netflix was a big part of selling your independent film where you would get 25-30% off the bat on a domestic deal from Netflix. They started making their own content so they're not buying anymore. Really? Is that really. the same for Amazon Hulu? Or Amazon is still buying a little bit in Hulu but what's happening is foreign is big. Tax incentive states are big. So if you're going to go make let's say a million dollar movie today you really just need about 30-35% of equity which is actual cash because you go shoot in upstate New York where we shot our movie, Mob Town, my last movie, uh, and you get 40% on your money, right? So for every million, you get $400,000 back. That's off the bat. Then you do you cast people that have foreign value towards them. So you start, you can do two things. I mean, now I'm teaching people how to make a movie, but the reality is you this can is literally good. cast someone uh, and say his value is about $500,000. You can go to the bank with statements that you have and take a loan up against it, right? Right. And you pay 6%. So you really just have to come up with $300,000, $200,000 to actually go make your movie if you want to go into the whole system with the banks and stuff like that. You go to, you go to a festival, you sell you know, in advance your, your film, Italy wants 30000 you take slips and you go to a bank and you, hire, you, know, you raise money against it. That's kind of essentially what you do when yeah, you kind of try to get a domestic deal where you can at least pay it off and then at the back end, the goal is is to own your movie for the rest of your life. So now you're, it's a part of your library. If you can break even the actual project, then you move on to the next one. And then one day you turn around, you own 50 movies and you have a big library. And, and that's the pitch. And that No, that's great. And that's fascinating. I'm sure people uh, found that uh, really interesting. There really is no, if you've got the passion, you've got the drive, um, there is no excuse to not now with iPhones with yeah, anyone what, can make a movie. What, anyone can essentially make yeah. a movie, right? The problem is, you know, not but, everyone will see the movie necessarily. Yeah. So, so uh, something really important happened to me at Sundance with with Holy Rollers. I was walking to this like producers lounge meeting thing, and I meet this guy there, and you know, everyone's wearing a tag, and he's like, oh, "What are you here with Holy Rollers? Oh, I'm excited to see that you." And he tells me the name of his movie. And we stayed friendly through, while we're there. And I invited him to my screening. He invited me to his screening. He reads in Variety a month later that I sell the movie. There's like a big announcement. And, I'm, and he calls me. And, oh, congratulations. Thank you. And I said, what's going on with your movie? He's like, ah, not, no bites yet, but I'm still thinking about it. Long story short, the guy never sold his movie. He said the worst thing that ever happened to him that he went to Sundance. People threw him a party back home. Congratulations. Mm. You're going to Hollywood. And, you know, that taught me a lot. It doesn't necessarily, anyone can go and make a movie, 
to actually get people to see it and really appreciate it and understand it and let it actually be something that people will go and pay to see two different things. Um, but as long as you can make great content and, 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 and be creative, you should continue to do that. But understand that it's a business. Without actually understanding it's a business, you're not going to continue to make it. It, it. That's excellent advice. And what I love about um, your your approach, too, is aside from creating your your own properties, you're also still an actor at heart and also still uh, auditioning and meeting with people and uh I want to talk about your experience on The Irishman. Wow. You grew up loving uh, Al Pacino, De Niro, all these guys, all everyone of our generation and Scorsese. And here you are actually getting to work with them on film, man. That was incredible. So I, I don't really audition as much anymore just because I'm so busy. But for something like that, obviously, I was like, I would do yeah. anything. So I'm walking backwards from Brooklyn to LA. Oh, my God. <laughs> so I, here's The Irishman story. I've never told to anyone. Uh, I might have told you at dinner. Uh, but you know, not publicly. So I, I, I get an audition. I go, uh, and I auditioned for the casting director who I love. She's incredible. And I've done small little things with Scorsese where I, I have one line in, in Wolf of Wall Street, like actually like three lines in Wolf of Wall Street. And I played the doorman in the, in the vinyl, the way Scorsese yeah, directed, right, right, right. which I have two lines, you know, so I, it's awesome. little things, right? So I know, them, the casting directors, and, and Scorsese and everyone. So I go audition, and they're like, oh, that was great, but uh, I don't think you're right for this. So I end up going four or five times to actually audition, right? And I get this role, small role. It's three scenes, um, you know, small. I mean, you know, bigger than I've ever, anything I've ever yeah, done. But, like, with the, but, but it's, you know, not like a starring role. So I go to set. Finally, I've been waiting eight months to go to set. And I come out of my trailer and I'm standing in the middle of the street. And all of a sudden, Marty comes like, hey, you know Bob. Hey, Bob, you know Danny. Hey, Bob. <laughs> Talking like, about Robert De Niro. Yeah, De Niro. I'm like, <laughs> oh my Bob. God, right? So me and De Niro start doing this first scene. And the scene is, I, I, I'm basically a deadbeat. I owe money to everyone in the neighborhood. And, and this is early on in the movie. And they send De Niro's character, Frank Sheeran, to come to go get me. Because I owe money to Skinny, who he works for. So I'm walking around. De Niro gets out of the car. He has a gun in his hand. He pulls, you know, he's like, get in the fucking car. Can I curse on him? Sure. Get in the fucking car. I'm like, nah, 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 I was going to go. Get the fuck in the cover. This whole thing, right? So I'm like, oh, my God, this is incredible. I'm doing this scene. And it's much more dialogue, and it's much longer than I expected. Because in the scene... It was written like, you know, a couple of lines. Yeah. In the first scene. Were you intimidated at all? Did you get the butterflies you know, or? You know, I'm going to tell you something. I'm, I never forget this. I'm in my trailer and the, the knock comes and like, Danny, they're ready for you. Yo. Ooh, roller coaster feeling. No, said, roller coaster and feeling. I said to myself, this is it. <laughs> everything everything this is it. you've done yeah. everything you've done and you wanted in life right. comes down to this yeah. <laughs> it all comes down to this right. you cannot fuck this up right. now go there right. and just do the best that you can right good with that said I threw up I'm like, <laughs> so listen so I get there and we do this first scene right Marty's like dang that's great it's unbelievable okay wait how are we gonna move right so I'm like, wow, that was great. So it was like three hours of, of, of this one scene. Then we break for lunch. Now, uh, Bobby Cannavale's there, and he's like, hey, what's up, what's up? So we start running the lines. Marty says to me, 
Listen, remember you said to in, in the first uh, scene, you said, uh, Frank, I swear to God, I was going to go see him tomorrow. I want you to tell him that off the bat without telling anyone. Just say that, right? And it's not in the script. So I'm like, all right, we go into the second scene. In the second scene, I'm standing there, literally me and De Niro like this, touching each other. And we're talking to Cannavale's character. And we're doing this whole scene. It's a big scene. I'm like, I swear to God, I was going to come, but where's my fucking money? Blah, blah, blah. Out of nowhere, De Niro punches me in my stomach. <laughs> <laughs> That's awesome. <laughs> and then grabs me by my head. And my head is under his arm. And I'm going, oh, my God. <laughs> so I'm thinking, right? He's like, Chuck, where's my money? Where's my money? Right? I'm like, oh, my God, this is incredible. It's like Maury from Goodfellas. Yeah. He's got I'm Maury, basically. Yeah, I'm Maury. He takes me and he throws me out the door, right? <laughs> Cut! I come back inside. He's like, are you okay? I'm like, yeah, I'm fine. <laughs> After like the fifth take, he keeps asking me if I'm okay. I'm like, Bob, listen, I waited 40 years to get beat up by you on a movie. Just do whatever you need to do. Don't worry about it, right? That's amazing. It was the most surreal, you know, experience of my life. And I realized he's the biggest movie star, probably the best actor of all time. But he's still an actor with me when we needed to get really close because it's behind the shoulder. Yeah. We were literally touching each other and we're doing it like this. And we were acting just you would like you would do an acting class. Right. There's no, you know, and it, it was the most beautiful experience. And I realized that the relationship between Bob De Niro and, and Marty is just like the relationship that I have with some of the guys that I'm doing it now. Yeah. Two young guys talking about making independent films, getting to know each other. Who's to say that we're going to end up being as big as them? That doesn't mean anything. What It's really about just wanting to make these little independent films and really doing the best work possible. And that, being on that set was everything. Now I can, whatever I do, it doesn't matter. You can die happy. It doesn't matter. Right? Now, whatever <laughs> Everything's I do, gravy. I realized that, you know, I, you know, when I did the Iceman and I was going doing scenes with Michael Shannon. That was Shannon good. Yeah, Michael Shannon. He's an intense good actor right there. Great. You know, he doesn't rehearse and I was going toe to toe with him. He doesn't like, rehearse. He Ooh. doesn't rehearse. So after I did that, I was like, I can do anything. And he's a big intimidating guy. Very intimidating. Great guy. Yeah. Uh, but what I'm trying to say is that, you know, you in your mind, you build these things up and you think, oh my God, would insane to do a scene with, you know, my idol, De Niro. But when you actually, I can't explain it. When you're actually there, you're an actor. And yeah. he's an actor. Yeah. And you do a scene. I can't explain it. Yeah. It's yeah, not it, like you, you go, oh my I God. I get it. You yeah. just, I'm Louis, he's Frank, and I am this character, and I do it. And only when you take a step back, you go, holy shit. Yeah. This is incredible, right? Yeah. <laughs> but I can't explain it. And that's why I, I, I realized that I... It's why I did this. I, I, I was meant to do it. It comes really natural to me. Right. You understand? Yeah, of course I do. And, yeah. And, and that, and that is, you can't buy that. Right. So, so, you know, anyone who tries to act and it doesn't come natural and it kind of like, they feel like they were so nervous and they were intimidated. You shouldn't do it. Yeah. It should be fun. And it should be, I mean, you need to do the work. And Some more solid advice. And be, exactly. And be prepared and know right. your lines and know your character. You need to do all that. But if you do it and it doesn't, and you nervous is crazy, and you're, you're, then you, sh it's not for you. you. Then you're literally forcing it, and it's not natural, because you, it should be when you're on there, you're an actor, wherever you do, time to work, it, and it's time to work and really bring it. Um, Speaking of it work, it was a lot of fun. Well, when can we look forward to checking that out? 
I'm uh, the Irishman. The Irishman is. Uh, I hear it in the fall. Oh, okay. Yeah. So, so this year in the fall, it okay, would be wow. out this year in the fall again. Netflix, a small, right? A small. Are you kidding me, man? That is but with with uh, with the, the the kings of yeah, uh, cinema right there. Pacino, Pacino, and Pesci, I'll, and I'll, I did a movie with Kaitel. That's uh, right. That's right. Work. Harvey Keitel. All this. Look at all the guys you look up to, man. You yeah, start was, your work with Keitel, Pacino, De Niro. Yeah, and even these. Uh, I can't uh, wait these, to see this. I'm yeah. literally like. No, you and by the way, they the might cut me out. So, <laughs> <laughs> this might be the proof. I might not even be in the movie. Let's have a party. And if they cut you out, I'll be like, hey, I know what really happened. I'm going to tell them. <laughs> Oh man, that reminds me of a story that Rob Lowe told too about the Outsiders. Because you remember the Outsiders, yeah. Soda Pop, right? That was there you go, Soda Pop Curtis. He was, he was, he was in it, but not, not as much, right? Yeah. But he had two very intense scenes, big scenes, and he, he was uh, uh, emotional, and he thought it was going to take him next level, and yeah. um, he really prepared. It took him like a week to shoot. Long story short, when he saw the film, they cut it out. Yeah. <laughs> no, and, by out. Way, and by the way, and by the way. You know, the movie is, you know, I'm hoping, you know, Marty, it's like four hours and he needs to cut it to three. Right. You know, so. <laughs> look, it's a mini series now. No one can take sure. away that experience. No one can take away that experience. And, no and, one. And, 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 and nothing will compare to it. I mean, not for me uh, to work with any, you know, but it, it's, it's, it, it was a lot of fun. I'm going to tell you what, what was a lot of fun and a surreal experience for me hanging out with you. Danny invites me to dinner. We're at dinner hanging out. All of a sudden, Al Pacino joins us, who's the nicest guy in the world. We go pick. I go to you. You want to come with me? Got to grab Al from the car. We go grab Al Pacino. He's hanging out. At the time, he's shooting Paterno, yeah. the, uh, the HBO flick, which he was great, by the way. And I'm hanging out, having a conversation with Al Pacino. Oh, but wait. Then, like a half hour later, uh, Leonardo DiCaprio walks in. <laughs> this is the dinner party that he's invited me to. I was like, oh! We had a good time. We, we had, had a good time. time. We had Great a good conversation. time. Great conversation. Great conversation. Yeah, I like how you roll. <laughs> I was yeah. very, I was very uh, uh, honored to be uh, among that group. Oh, with you, come buddy. on. <laughs> we love you. Those guys are cool, though. They're actually very, as big a stars as they are, they actually are very nice down-to-earth guys. They're and, the greatest. You know, kicking know. it with you. I want to talk about, before we wrap up, I just want to make sure... Talk about um, your latest film. Mobtown. It was called Appalachian, uh, but we sold it. Congratulations. Thank you. Saban Films bought it. Uh, they're thinking um, late summer Great. release. Um, it's called Mobtown. And, uh, oh, my buddy's in it? You hooked up my boy uh, Twitty? Who plays Larry Gallo. He's unbelievable. He did a good job. By the way. I'm not just saying that. No, no, no let me tell you something. And I'm going to go on the record here and tell you, I swear to God... He did such a great job, and I'm not just saying that because he's here and he's. Looking at <laughs> That's the best. <laughs> it's the truth. He was so good that I, I I was telling myself like I gotta find because in the first scene he doesn't say much, right? Right. Because he's you know he's there to. This is a film you somebody. directed by the I, way. The film too. I directed the, your, your first. Uh, right. uh, direct, yeah, because you're wearing a lot of hats. You're in it. You're directing. Yeah, I you're directed producing. It. I I uh, I decided to direct it. Because I I felt like I I knew the story and, and you did a great job by the way because it was so a period but you put a lot on your plate because it's a, yeah, period, it piece. a period piece it was the hardest thing I've had to Ooh, do it's a whole thing but to go back to duty you know then it goes goes to show you it goes to show you that a guy who's ready you know he's ready prepared he, he he didn't he didn't have lines that he had to memorize but when I told him what I needed he went out and just did and it was so natural. 
and I go, hey, look at this. You know, an actor that you just put on the spot and it can just perform like that. That's what I was talking about. Yeah. Being ready. Exactly. And when you're an actor, it doesn't matter who you're doing. He's doing scenes with, with Robert Davi, who's been in 180 movies. David Arquette, you know, these guys. And, 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 and it was wonderful to see. Made because you proud, right? It made me proud because, you know, I wanted to, you know, I'm, I'm an independent filmmaker. I wanted people to look out for me if I was in starting out. And I met him and got the opportunity to put him and be in a position where I can help someone out. And I did. And it, it paid off look because at that. he did a great job. Made me proud, too, because I told her, hey, Tori, good, don't good. fuck this up, Tori. You make me look bad right there. If he, we could just did, apply that same attitude to Tori at work here, oh. that would be great. <laughs> I might have to come and direct it. You might have to come and direct it. Exactly. That's what I think is missing. No, but okay. No, but that was great, man. And Tootie was good, thank man. You, but Mob you. Town and we can uh, look for that when possibly? I, I'm, I'm hearing uh, late summer. Late I'm, summer. Yeah, Mob Town, late summer. Yeah. I've seen it. Turned out great. You did a great thank job so right much. there. We're going to go and make another movie this summer. Oh, let's, 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 uh, let's leave it with that. What, can I, can I, you uh, talk about it? Yeah, I mean, is this the basketball one? Yeah, it's a basketball movie. This was based on a true story. Yeah, it's called. Is this the guy I met in Coney Island? Yes. <laughs> random story. Who took a picture with you? Right. And tell send it to me. Right. Tell the story, and then this I is. I wake random. up in the morning. There's a picture of him, literally, and you're, you're like this in the picture. <laughs> like, who the hell is this guy? And he's like, he's saying, Wait, isn't that your buddy? He sends it to me. But what's this but guy? So this guy's this guy? name is Jackie Ryan, and he's a uh, he's a. Uh, a street basketball legend from New York. It's kind of like a Rocky story. Um, it's going to be called Black Jack, the Jackie Ryan story. Uh, he doesn't make it to the NBA, but he makes it in life. And that's really, really it's all about. Nice. Uh, it's Rocky. And yeah, it's it. like basically like Rock. Rocky doesn't win in Rocky 1. You're exactly right. He loses. One of my favorite movies of all time. Love Anyway, I love this. I could talk to you for another two hours. I love it. I love it too. And then, yeah, so that random guy, I'm walking around on Coney Island. He comes up to me and uh, takes a picture. And yeah. I just randomly meet him. And now he's going to do a movie. Isn't that crazy? And Mario's face is like this in the picture. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> like, this, is, this, this is my last question before we wrap yeah. it up. And uh, before that, even. Danny, um, it was very inspiring. And I think a lot of people could learn a lot in the sense that you can't you you can't sacrifice hard work and passion um in life if you're not willing to put put the work and that's exactly what you did thank you so i think that's incredibly inspiring and the fact that you're now out here in la and really into it that's great man and, and god bless you and i'm glad we've we've um gotten close and, and been able to uh, become thank become good friends me however too. last question to leave you with why the fuck haven't you put me in any of your movies? <laughs> Remember, I, I'm an okay. actor. Uh, hold on, I tried. That's no, all right. That's all right. We're gonna. You don't have to well, answer. No, no, I'm, not, I'm gonna answer it. <laughs> no, 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 no. You have no faith. Uh, you I give Tootie Roll. You, you were, don't give me you one. Were, you were in, supposed to be in Mob Town, and <laughs> you broke your your toy like you. That's right. I got hurt. I got hurt. You got yeah. hurt, so yeah, you Achilles. couldn't do it. Remember? Yes, yes. I'm breaking. And I wanted to talk to you. I was telling Tootie, I want you to be in this movie. I would love for you to come and do it. This. This summer we're gonna go shoot. This I want to do something different though. I want to like, I want to, I want to, I want to be nasty and oh, I want to fucking like kill somebody. Or something. No, 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 relax. <laughs> it's basketball. <laughs> we're not killing is too, anybody. Is that too aggressive? Yeah, yeah. Too aggressive. Damn it! No one's killing anyone's basketball. <laughs> I mean, all right. I got you a might beat too. up somebody on the court. All right, I got a little too aggressive. You, know what I mean? <laughs> you might beat up somebody on the court. Fair enough. Fair enough. Here. We'll leave it on that. 